0: As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings? Jesus replied, Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they're about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. You must be on your guard you will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say, whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you see the abomination that causes desolation, standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter, because those will be days of distress unequalled from the beginning, when God created the world, until now, and never to be equalled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time... If anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time people will see the son of man coming in clouds with great power and glory and he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens now learn this lesson from the fig tree as soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out you know that summer is near even so when you see these things happening you know that it is near right at the door Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch.
1: Well, you might have just heard Mark 13 read and be wondering, why on earth will we do a passage like that today? It's where we're up to in the gospel of Mark, as it turns out. But how can these almost incomprehensible and very complicated words from Jesus help in such a time of personal and global crisis? Well, there's a very good reason, actually. Uh, Mark 13 is all about Jesus preparing his disciples to deal with Crisis. Now, all through the passage, there are different types of crises that he mentions. He begins by talking about the temple being overturned, the destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans, and the end of the temple, which overturned the whole Jewish way of life and changed Judaism forever. He goes on to speak of wars and and rumors of wars, tumults politically that will happen, of big earthquakes, of Raging famines. All types of things will happen as we walk through this world. And yet Jesus at the center of Mark 13 is not preparing us to walk through any of these, but to walk through the great crisis of his crucifixion. His disciples are about to be completely disoriented by the events of the week that follows. And Jesus is preparing them for that. And what we learn from Mark 13 is this, that to walk through any crisis we may face in this world, we need to watch the Son of Man walk through His. We need to watch Jesus walk to His cross. We need our hearts full of its significance and the power of the resurrection that follows. So today I have four things that Jesus wants to say in crisis from Mark 13. So why don't you open your Bible with me? Because the first thing that Jesus, we hear Jesus say is this, stand firm, there is still good news. That's how Jesus ends the first section. But he begins with this question that's given him by his disciples. They point to the, the stones of the temple and say, look how magnificent they are. And he responds by saying, not one of these will remain on the other. And So they ask, well, what's the sign that this will happen? And following this, Jesus throws out all of these different things that are about to happen. He says, many will come in my name. There'll be spiritual deception, claiming I am he. You'll hear wars. There's going to be war and rumors of war, but don't be alarmed. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be earthquakes and famines. All manner of things are going to happen. And he goes on and says, you disciples, you're going to be dragged in front of synagogues. You're going to have to give account to high kings and governors. You're going to be brought to trial on account of me. You see, the life of discipleship is a life from crisis to crisis. Through the innumerable crises that happen every day in our world. And the particular ones of being a disciple of Jesus needing to take up a cross. Why does Jesus tell us about all these things? Well, he says at the beginning, watch out. And then later, be on your guard. You see, there's a chance for these to so fill our hearts with panic and worry that we lose focus on what matters most. And in the midst of these things, Jesus says, stand firm because there is still good news. What good news? What does Jesus use to describe these things? He says in verse 8, these are the beginning of birth pains. Birth pains. Now, I've seen one set of birth pains close up. Let me tell you my observations, having not experienced it myself. But one they, they, that, that's real pain there. That's excruciating real pain. Jesus isn't belittling the troubles that come upon anyone in this world. But the other thing I've observed about birth pains is that all of a sudden, they stop. All of a sudden, they cease. For what? Because of a a beautiful beginning. You see, Jesus says all the things we walk through in this world are what? Birth pains. They are real pains that will one day stop because of a beautiful beginning. There will be a day when Jesus begins his kingdom and it will stop every virus. It will stop every war. It will stop every famine. It will stop every earthquake. It will bring down every king. It will be a beautiful new beginning. Friend, stand firm. There is still good News And and we as God's people are supposed to in this time to be not purveyors of panic, but givers of good news. Jesus describes how when the disciples uh, are before governors and kings, that they are not to worry beforehand about what to say, because the Holy Spirit will tell them what to say at the moment when they need it. And you see, God has set us in this time, in this time of birth pains. To be givers of the good news, to stand on the good news, to be firm in the good news. You want to bring the good news to your family in this time, to your apartment block, to your work friends. To say, I know this is hard, but these are birth pains. There's a beautiful beginning coming. There is the good news of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It is coming. Jesus wants to say to you this morning, stand firm. There is still good news. But the second thing that Jesus goes on to say, and this is where he he kind of zooms in on the crisis of his cross and starts preparing his disciples for it, is that he chose to suffer the greatest distress for us. Now, this is where the passage gets a bit strange, so bear with me. But in verse 14, he says, When you see the abomination that causes desolation, a quote from Daniel 9, standing where it does not belong, then flee to the mountains. He speaks of people being in dreadful distress and people wanting to to run away from the, the chaos that ensues. Now, it's confusing because it sounds like the fall of Jerusalem. It sounds like when Rome ransacks and everyone has to flee and it's a terrible time for pregnant women and all those kinds of things. And and in some ways, it's a true picture of that time. But Jesus says something further. He says, those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. Now, the fall of Jerusalem was awful. It was awful. And what we are facing now is awful. What people in war and famine across our world are facing is also awful. But I don't know if any of these are the greatest distress that has ever happened. What does Jesus mean by this? Jesus is talking about his cross. The cross of Jesus Christ. Is the greatest suffering, the greatest distress that has ever happened. One commentator says this the greatest suffering this world has ever known or will ever know, no suffering will ever surpass what Jesus Christ experienced on the cross. And you might be at home thinking, well, why? What is it about the suffering of Jesus? that is unparalleled in any other way at any other time. Well, well that that phrase desolation that causes that sacrilege, abomination that causes desolation, speaks of a, a moment of such impurity, of such sacrilege that has never happened before. And, and can there be any greater sacrilege than Jesus Christ, the Son of the eternal God, the Holy One, coming down from heaven to suffer the shame of humanity by being strung up to asphyxiate on a cross. Is there any greater tribulation than the Son of God drinking the wrath and judgment of God on the cross? Is there any greater distress than the Son who has always known His Father crying out on the cross, Why have you forsaken me? The sheer injustice of it. (laughs) The the sheer undeservedness of it. The absolute mystery of it. The unparalleled suffering of it. Jesus Christ suffered on the cross the greatest distress, known. And friends, you know what? He did it for you. He suffered in your place. He took your judgment to forgive your sins so that on the day when the birth pains stop, you could enter his kingdom so you might have a part with him. Jesus has already suffered the greatest distress for you. Now, I think this changes everything for us in a moment like this. To know that the High King of Heaven, our, our Lord Jesus, the Son of God, has suffered distress for us. It changes the way we suffer. Now, Jürgen Moltmann got this. After the Second World War, he fought for Germany in the Second World War. One of his friends was blown apart beside him in a battle. He ended up interned in a camp in the UK. Where they broke news to all the prisoners of the war camps, of the concentration camps, of Auschwitz, of the horrendous things that had been done while they defended their country, not knowing it. You can describes sinking into this despair, this crushing guilt, and yet being handed a Bible by a chaplain and opening it up and reading the Psalms and, and hearing of the God who suffered, of the Son of God who came among us and bore wrath, who knows what desolation is like. And he describes what happens as he reads scripture, that God found me in my desolation. And I found my desolation in God. After the war, he goes on to write theology of how there is no God worth following after Auschwitz. There is no God worth following in suffering, in crisis, but this God who suffers for his people. This God who finds us in desolation. This God who when we look to in desolation, we realize has already been desolate for us. Oh friends, if you're in distress today, know that God can find you in the midst of it. And he has suffered horrendously already for you. Turn to him. But that's not the end of the story. Because what is going to be most confusing for the disciples in what follows is that it will feel like utter defeat. It will feel like everything has ended. It will feel like Jesus has lost control. And Jesus wants to say that he has not lost control in his crucifixion. And even after his death and after his resurrection, he is very much at work. You see, he goes on to describe In verse 24, in those days following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Jesus is not describing physical events we can view in the heavens. He's describing metaphorically a cosmic change. A cosmic shift in the very power of heaven itself. At the seat of all control and power and glory, something will change because of Jesus' crucifixion. Because he suffered the greatest distress on our behalf. What he says will follow this. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming In clouds with great power and glory. Daniel 7, a moment when a man walks into heaven and receives the power and glory from God to reign over every nation, every heart, every country for all of time with all power, all authority and honor. Jesus says that after his crucifixion, in his resurrection, he becomes that Son of Man. In his death and resurrection, The powers in heaven change. He takes control of all things. But you might be thinking, well, what's the point of that? What's the point of having such control when he's not here healing? What's the point of that when there's so much panic and he doesn't feel present? What's the point of that? What is he even up to? How can we say he's still at work? Well, Jesus says what he'll be up to, doesn't he? Verse 27, and he, the son of man, will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Jesus will be working, gathering people to himself. Now that word angels in the Greek of the New Testament, it can mean the paper boy on your Sunday morning, or it can mean the highest commander, angelic body in heaven. But I think it's better to translate it here as the newspaper boy, the messenger, because that's what happens after Jesus' resurrection. He sends out everyday messengers like you and me, like his disciples, to tell of the good news, to tell of the birth pains, to tell of the beautiful new beginning that's about to happen, to tell of the God who suffered for them for their forgiveness of sins. What is Jesus up to with all that power, with all that glory right now? He is gathering people to himself. He is doing it in every nation under heaven. With that same spirit who will help the disciples speak of him before kings and governors, he gives to us to speak before anyone. You see, we don't live in the time of Corona. We live in the time when Jesus is gathering all people to himself. And he is even doing that in the midst of this. I've heard of so many stories of this week of believers talking about how Jesus is bringing them to himself. How they felt so shaken and panicky and they've realized that their confidence isn't in him. They don't trust and stand as a rock on his purposes. Without they aren't sure in themselves of what, what's happened for them. They're realizing they're being drawn to him. I'm hearing of brothers and sisters speaking the truths of the Psalms into each other's lives. And you know, there are people all over our suburbs who are questioning. Maybe, maybe, friend, you're one of those today viewing church. You're just feeling like you need something more. Do you know why you tuned in today? Because the high King of heaven, Jesus, is gathering you. He wants to draw you close to him right now because that is what he is up to. That is what he is doing. It's time to put your trust in him. It's time to turn and believe the good news of the forgiveness of your sin and of the new kingdom that's coming. Friends, Jesus has not lost control. He is still at work. The question is, do you see it? Are you aware of it in your own heart, in your own life? Are you seeing it in the people around you? Are you seeing him in his kingdom purpose in this difficult time? Because you see, the last thing that he tells us here as he closes out this whole section is he he summons us to watch and wait for his glory. See, at the end of this passage, he, he speaks of an hour that not even the angels in heaven know, verse 32, nor he knows, but only the Father knows. And he describes it like someone leaving their house in verse 34 and and leaving servants in charge, his people, with tasks to do, proclaiming the gospel. And that one day the owner of the house will come back. Friends, we do not live in the time of corona. We live between the comings of Jesus. We, come, we live between his cross and between his coming. We live in the time of the birth pains. Real pain that will give way to real joy. To a beautiful beginning. And we are to be what? Alert. Be on your guard. Be alert. Watch. Wait. Be awake. Don't be so distracted and consumed that you forget what the time is. We are waiting. Jesus is still doing his purposes. Find hope, find confidence, stand firm in that. But do you notice how the passage ends? Verse 37, what I say to you, I say to everyone, watch, watch. What happens next in in Mark is Jesus does the Passover, the Last Supper, then he's betrayed he's brought on trial, then he's sentenced, then he's humiliated, then he's mocked, then he's spat on, then he's drawn up to a cross, strung up, dies, buried, and rises again. There is no accident that the last thing Jesus says to his disciples directly at the end of Mark 13 is, watch. He's explained the cosmic significance of his death and resurrection and says, watch, 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 watch me get betrayed. Watch me on trial. Watch me get condemned. Watch me get strung up. Fill your heart with what is about to happen. Fill up your heart with the glory of my cross. Fill up your heart with these things. Drink deeply of their significance. You see, Easter has been leveled up for us this year. Jesus is summoning us in the midst of our crisis to watch his, to pay closer attention to the one who will walk through the greatest distress, to carry us through any distress so that we might not just have the birth pains, but enjoy his kingdom. Friend, when you wake up tomorrow, don't turn first to a newspaper or to Facebook or to anything that's going to tell you about this crisis, turn to his crisis. Turn to his cross. Turn to his forgiveness. Fill up your heart. Watch. Wait. He came and he is coming. Fill your heart up with his glory. And you can walk through any crisis with your heart full of His. Amen.